everybody. Welcome to the Others Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Penny. We've been away for a while, apart from the the kind of very random podcast we put out, um, I think it was last week or the week before, with uh, some recommendations while everybody's stuck at home and self-isolating. But we are back with our kind of usual um, schedule now, hopefully, and our usual content, unless you would like some more random stuff. So this week, uh, we are going to talk all things Daft Punk, as well as all of the the news and updates that we've had from probably the last six months since I last uh, recorded one of these podcasts properly. So there's plenty to go through. Uh, And to help me go through that, uh, another new guest this week, all the way from way out west in Oregon, Clayton Davis. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Really good. Thank you. Really good. Uh, just dealing with this kind of self-isolation thing, trying to keep busy, uh, trying to stay away from people, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So let's get into uh, these Daft Punk tracks, I guess, that we're going to discuss here. So we've, I've grouped both of them together here. Um, probably would have normally done them one at a time, uh, but Blurred Lines came in between them, and we've already done Blurred Lines, so it make, made sense to kind of group these two tracks up together uh, and kind of get them both out of the way. So... The guest's prerogative, Clayton, you can pick which one we start with. So your choice is either lose yourself to dance or get lucky. Which one do you fancy first? I say let's talk about lose yourself to dance because I don't. I feel it's one that's not talked about much except on, among, you know, for all fans because it's not the most popular one. Let me go through the, the numbers quickly then for this one and all the, the kind of stats and whatnot and then we'll get into it. Um, this is actually the the second single released from uh, Ram after Get Lucky, released on the 13th of August 2013. That's seven years ago, and that makes me feel so old now. Yeah. God. 151 million YouTube views so far, uh, with an unofficial fan version of the video getting 22 million views. Uh, what else have we got here? Hit number one song in South Korea, uh, and as well on the U.S. Hot Dance Club songs, whatever random uh, chart that is in the U.S. Bar that, it didn't chart massively elsewhere. Um, obviously, you know, Get Lucky, I think, stole all of the, the limelight, and we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but from my understanding, you know, Lose Yourself to Dance was the second single, but it was meant to be the actual breakout track of the album it's the one that they kind of really expected to be the massive track and unfortunately it was somewhat overshadowed by uh by get lucky so we had a a video that was uh shot at the same time as the get lucky video Uh, a trailer debuted for this track uh the 2013 mtv vmas the video came out on the 16th of september Produced, uh, produced by Daft Arts and directed by Daft Punk, Warren Fu, Paul Hahn, and Cedric Hervé. That's pretty much all the stats. So let's get into the video and the track. Clayton, I will, um, I'll let you start. You can give me your, your thoughts and observations on this one. Well, I was, I was listening to the song and the thing I thought interesting about it because is it's a fairly slow slower paced song which is a very compared to 
get lucky in some of the other songs it's it's interesting that that would be the kind of dance song but they were obviously going for a very much a a 70s disco you know club type theme which i guess you know these days people are used to these very fast paced edm type dance songs and this was this was more of a when i was just more of a chill song it's more of a like this is something kind of anybody could dance to um but i i would just listen to that and i thought that was interesting that they you know that you have this whole this this whole theme but i think we have the lyrics you know um i know you don't get to take a break this often so it's almost like you know it's almost like a theme. Like I felt very, had a very, um, you know, the song off the wall by Michael Jackson mm-hmm. like had, had very similar to that. Like it's, it's a, Hey, you've had a long week and you know, you get to go to the club, but maybe your energy is not there to just stamp out and go, you know, a full hundred. Um, and I, and I don't know if that was purposeful, but I feel like, I feel like both these songs are very interesting and they're one, they're one of the few songs that features Pharrell that he did not produce himself or Chad did not produce. Um, So I felt he was very much in kind of his channeling Michael, um, who, you know, is his idol of him, of his and someone he wanted to produce for. Um, and I feel you very much have that in the video, very much of a, of a late 70s, early 80s type of Michael Jackson off the wall feel. I hadn't really thought about that previously watching it, but now you say it. Um, yeah, that kind of um, theme of the song. And I think also thinking back, to, I haven't watched the video in about a week or so, but thinking back to the video, they've got those kind of... Um, like sort of sequin suit jackets on, haven't they? Which is very um, Michael Jackson esque, let's say. Yeah, and and I think I think it, it was for all his referring to that song was very much like um, he said it. She felt it was more like nineteen eighties, like nineteen eighty five than the seventies. And I mean, look at the video, and you look at the video for I think it's can't don't stop till you get enough. It's like very very similar. But it's almost like from where he, he describes it and how he recorded, you know, he was kind of jet lagged. And I think that was at least for Get Lucky in that. I think it was, this was really, that Punk knew what they wanted exactly from this. And they kind of just carried it and knew that Pharrell would provide what was kind of needed in that, being able to kind of channel that. Um, again, you never know with, you know, if that was, intentional but i feel like it was really these songs are just really interesting because it comes in the middle of an era which i felt the 2010s were very much 2010s sort of late 2000s were remained from revival of the 80s and it's interesting to have these songs that are very 70s-ish just pop right out but still become so popular because they just weren't they weren't quite what was going on at the time but um i think i think daft punk was looking for to provide something different while you have you know these kind of changes in hip-hop that are moving away from kind of 
real I don't want to say real artistry, but you know, you have you have a lot of the SoundCloud act of people wanting to, you know, churn out kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, so yeah, it, it 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 was just it was just very it was refreshing, very interesting for me uh, to hear these songs that are featuring Pharrell, but uh, that he that he was secondary with that he didn't he was on the boards with. Um, I don't know. How, how did you how did you feel about that? Do you think that was a do you think that that's a significant that shows the, his significance in the industry beyond just being a producer and kind of his song featuring Pharrell? Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's it's funny you say that because at the same time, you know, you look at both the videos and he is still, um, you know, the video is based around them performing this song kind of you know, on a stage, just kind of very futuristic spaceship looking club environment type thing but he still he still takes kind of center stage in the video with Daft Punk to the side of him behind him kind of Nile Rogers off to the side as well a little bit um so obviously they still you know they still leverage that kind of you know star power of Pharrell but I think at the same time yes it is very much um more of a a daft punk song and i've been trying to listen to a bit more daft punk again recently um and you go back and you look at all of their stuff and i think the vast majority of their their albums while a lot of stuff sounds quite futuristic and forward thinking there's always those kind of constant throwbacks uh to that sort of 70s funk and dance stuff and 80s electro music and and as you mentioned a moment ago you know i think um Pharrell and Daft Punk have talked about, you know, that they felt it was more of a a David Bowie's 80 kind of kind of track. But you definitely, I definitely get more of a kind of 70s feel from it, um, both sonically and um, you know, visually with the the video itself as well. Um, and you know, the kind of the setting, the lighting, the the way the kind of dancers are dressed, the way even they're dressed as well. Like I say, there is that kind of um. Michael Jackson vibe and, and throwback to a certain extent as well. So there's a mixture of different things in there, but I think in terms of the track in the video, I think they, they pull it off very well. I think there's always um, the chance when you, you kind of do tracks that are a sort of throwback to um, an older era and you're trying to kind of reference the 70s or um, emulate a 70s kind of sound, there's, there's a chance that it can sound a bit fake or sound a bit muddled if you're using other influences as well. But I think um, I think this track works very, very well, um, no matter what they may or may not have been uh, referencing in terms of whether it came from the, the 70s, the 80s, Bowie, or you know, anyone else, basically. Well, and I, I think it showed, too, how... Um else singing talents have evolved too i mean he he would have been one to say like you know when he did fronting about you know he's critical himself of his singing but mm. this i mean because those are you know especially that song those high notes they're not easy to hit but it's obviously something where i don't know if he could have if he would have been willing to do it you know so many years ago if he would have been um that confident in his singing abilities but i think uh it it goes to show how much 
he's practiced and two, there's a certain, I think there's a certain freedom in all of it because like he was saying, you know, he was into the same thing at the time he was listening to Nile Rodgers and, and he was just like, Hey, uh, you know, if you just want me to play the tambourine. So I get this on the track, I get this, this sense of kind of this sense of sort of freedom for him of he doesn't have to worry about kind of the full composition of it himself and, and all that comes with it. Um, so that carries over, which carries over very well for the whole mix of the song of kind of, uh, you know, lose yourself, um, you know, have fun, um, type of thing. But, uh, yeah. And, and two, I, I mean, I've been a Daft Punk fan since the late nineties. Um, I'm general, my favorite type of electronica is French electronica, which, uh, Pharrell is also very into having worked with, you know, Cassius and, uh, you know, you have some justice, uh, remix. Um, but, uh, I think, I think, Two, you have this, you have what you don't have in a lot of other things. You have a very stage, a very theater thing, which of course, you know, all the way up to them accepting the awards is the robots. Because obviously Daft Punk is two humans, um, but throughout all the, the interviews and everything, it's, you know, there's a sense of fun of phrasing it as, you know, they're robots for another planet and they come down here to be nice and, and uh, chill with us. And I kind of liked what he said about, sort of almost taking from a parallel universe where maybe, you know, this era, the seventies are, are back in full swing because it, because it really, yeah, like you said, it really doesn't, uh, really didn't fit in the paradigm of what was going on. But I think maybe that's why it was so successful at one award nominated for award. Um, because it, it was so kind of, odd in that period i mean do you do you agree because I, I i don't remember a whole lot of 70s revival really going on at the time yeah definitely and i i think what daft punk do themselves very very well as i as i kind of mentioned alluded to um earlier is they always have that kind of throwback feel to their to their tracks but they always do it very very well so i think even if they're at the time even if you do have other um, other artists um, trying to do similar things. I think Daft Punk will always stand, you know, head and shoulders above um, other artists, other producers. Um, they've done it for years. They do it. They do it brilliantly, uh, which is why you know when there's a new Daft Punk album or single rumored or uh, a tour or a festival appearance, you know, it turns into the biggest thing in the in the music industry. Yeah, they've been around for years. Yeah, you know, you can go online in every day. People are talking about rumors of them turning up here, turning up there, working in the studio with so and so, working on something else. Um, and again, that ties into that whole kind of, you know, the robots. I was going to say branding. I don't know if, if it's kind of branding, but it kind of gives them um, an enigma almost. And it's, I find it slightly endearing but also slightly strange how like when Pharrell talks in interviews about them and refers to them as you know the robots um I kind of think is that something they they ask people to do 
because it kind of ties in with you know their their own sort of brand and marketing, or is that something he, you know he's just kind of chosen to a way he's chosen to kind of word it and refer to them? It's um it's a very strange thing I find. Oh, I, I think it's totally part of the brand just because I you know I haven't been to one of their concerts, but I've had um, at least one friend, and um, it's that you don't see them. You see them yeah. in their robot suits. With the robot heads behind, you know, behind the boards, um, and they've been doing that consistently since the late 2000s. I mean, it, it was you. You have the fact that they were started doing that already with their album before that, but you know, they had seven years between that album and the previous one, um, and I don't think anybody thought they were coming out with that. Um, but I think it's something, obviously, that Pharrell, too, is, is into that type of theater. And it seems, I mean, just the fact that when they are at the award show, they're wearing, you know, the helmet. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's, it's very much part of their brand that, um, I don't know, I don't know if even they could or want, want to change it, but I, I think that they're like a lot of artists, people forget there's a lot of artists who are, you know, very ego driven. They want the attention, but then there's some who they don't want it to be about them. They don't, they want it to be about the music. And I think that part of their brand is like, you can ask people, uh, who are the members that from? Most people won't be able to say unless they look it up. Um, yeah. you know, you'd have to, you have to look for, okay, what do these guys actually look like? Okay. They're, they're French dudes, you know? Um, because they they have they have this whole theme that I think yeah that's something they asked and, and Pharrell clicks on being you know a big sci-fi guy and um, that yeah these are these are robots who came from another space and time or planet they came down here to give us this music um, I think I think that kind of adds to the the sense of that punk wants this to be about you know fun and I I think that's something you find in a lot of I find a lot of French electronica too is it's is very much this uh, stage thing, this theater thing. It's, it's about it's about having fun and breaking loose. Not that, of course, not that all you know other electronica is not, but it's it's very much in that. Uh, it's French electronica is very influenced, I feel, by that kind of '70s, almost new disco, um, and so. I think um, just adding that um, to it helps, but I think yeah, that's just been their brand for a while, and I think I think it works. Um, I don't know. Most definitely, yeah. But I think there's also that kind of um, allure. Uh, I can't even say the word allure, and a mystique behind it because you don't see them out in public that often um you know as kind of normal people obviously photos of them surface every now and again at certain industry events and things like that but because they have this kind of robot persona you know when a new album comes out they don't necessarily do a lot they don't well they don't do any press really unless it's kind of pre-released um you know kind of off-camera uh written uh interviews uh or statements that they release so again i think that kind of um adds to a lot of it a lot of the kind of build up a lot of the kind of um 
the uncertainty of, you know, will they release something else again? Will they tour? Will they appear here or there? Because when they don't have an album out or a track out, you don't really see or hear anything of them. You know, you I think with, you know, Pharrell and a lot of other big artists that are popular at the moment, they pop up every now and again. You see pictures of them in a studio or at an event or wherever it may be. With Daft Punk, you don't really see anything. Now, I know I have sort of read some of the kind of, you know, the rumours and stuff here and there where, you know, if they attend events, they have the the um, organisers of the events sign kind of NDAs and agreements that they won't have their pictures taken and all this kind of stuff. So I'm sure they're out there, you know, amongst uh, the kind of other celebrities in the kind of music industry um, more than we probably realise. But, you know, we don't, as normal people, sort of see any of that or have access to that. So I think that adds to a lot of that kind of, um, uh, as I say, sort of mystique about them and that kind of ties into the whole sort of brand and the marketing side of things as well, which is very clever on their part. Yeah, and, and I think it's, I think it's you see that they are, they are producers and producers are, Typically, people who like to stay that are behind the scenes. I mean, you have with the Neptunes, you know, Chad's, Chad's not the one who gets a lot of attention, and, and he likes that because, you know, he's got his family. He's he's interested in staying behind the scenes, letting Pharrell take the uh, stage. I mean, it's a lot of people, you can ask them if they know who the Neptunes are. Some people just don't Pharrell, but I think a lot of these Producers don't don't necessarily want all that attention. You have, of course, the producer songwriters. You know, uh, a lot of them were out in center stage, but I mean, it's it's, it's similar to a lot of um, a lot of these other groups. Um, I mean, Gorillaz has the same thing when they you know tour. Typically, they would you know hide behind a screen and have in the cartoons um, kind of images play for them um i did not know that about the kind of nda stuff that's kind of interesting but um i i i see i see it as too they didn't they didn't have to do a whole lot of marketing for this too i think in part because they had two songs featuring Pharrell, one of the most famous entertainers at the time that was sort of the hook i mean they also got you know julian casablancas um on the album too but you know a lot of other people i hadn't heard of um it was very much an education for me i mean i'm 35 now but i you know i didn't grow up learning a lot about that part of uh 70s and 80s um so i i felt it was really interesting that it took off in the way it did because it it took off for a lot of people who weren't knowledgeable about a lot of that stuff um and i think it's i it's just it's kind of it's it's very interesting that 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 such retro songs hit so many audiences. You have, you know, and I think, it, but I think in large part it has to do with Pharrell. You know, you you have the younger people who listen to his stuff, then you have the older people it kind of clicks with, um, and that's that's not easy to do. Um, but I think that's part of why you know, I mean, award shows are all largely political but i think part of why they you know were kind of deemed that way because uh it, it hit all those demographics um and i think they they knew that um 
probably had some type of planning in that way. But I, I mean, I, I don't, I think they would probably first say it wouldn't have been possible without Pharrell. I mean, when you have on the stage, they're not talking, it's Pharrell talking. So I, I think that's also excellent marketing and, Two, they've created something that allows them to do touring differently as well. Um, approach how they, you know, perform too, because they're playing different stuff. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know though if they, if they, you know, lost audience from that. But I think they probably gained a lot more because it's it's pretty different from their their album before, um, which is very club oriented yeah for sure and as you mentioned there as well i think um it shows the kind of pull and power and i guess the, the respect of daft punk the fact that you have somebody like pharrell and niall rogers as well who is you know um you know massive in in the industry uh you know he's revered um actually doing the press and the publicity for the two singles you know if you look at pretty much any other song in the world you know the featuring artist is not the artist that does the promo stuff you know the people that do the promo are the artists whose album it is on but again i think that shows the the kind of power of of daft punk that they can get the likes of pharrell who has who had his uh you know his own stuff to promote at the time you know this is around the time of um you know as i say you know uh what's it called blurred lines was released in between these two tracks um, it was kind of just after you know, happy and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, he's not, it's not like he's got spare time on his hands to be doing this as well. Um, but he's out there doing promo stuff, doing interviews for these tracks, as is, you know, Nile Rogers as well, who is, you know, constantly in the studio, constantly touring. So it shows the power of Daft Punk. And I think that the power, um, and probably the expectation internally of, of the two tracks as well. Yeah, and and I mean too, something that occurred to me the more I've listened to the Neptunes is Daft Punk being an influence because I think that I think they're around the same age, but you know the Neptunes were still doing kind of a lot of art. They were just beginning kind of you know ninety six ninety seven when kind of Daft Punk hit the scene, and uh, you know, that's when they're still doing very much kind of the Teddy Riley stuff of producing R&B. And, but, you, but I find just it's obvious how much they're influenced by that too, especially that French electronica. Um, and then I think, I think that was kind of, you know, being starting producers, they're doing remixes and, and doing that um, harder, better, faster, stronger remix i mean that was the first time it was obvious how much to daft punk really liked Pharrell. they wanted more than just a remix they wanted like a redo they want you know that song is that remix is a redo of the whole song you have them adding you know lyrics that weren't you know really in there and um well yeah this whole whole kind of pharrell hooks and uh verses in there almost yeah um and that was, I mean, cause, cause, you know, they did, they were doing a lot of remixes. Um, but, but to, and there, and there were, there were some remixes like that, you know, like the, the Prince's remix, um, the greatest romance ever told, um, 
you know, and you had similar with with air with don't be light. You know, that was a that was pretty much complete reworking. Um, so I mean, he was he was they were already connected in that way. So I think it was just probably it was just probably a logical conclusion for Daft Punk to see. Okay, well, we had this success there's this mutual admiration and just the fact that they were on the same wavelength of listening to uh that same music i mean but you know they're all they're all guys who were born in the 70s for tall so um they also but it's like too knowing they were born in the 70s means really they were coming up in the 80s and that's what i feel like they were really hitting on sort of that disco kind of r&b that was kind of you know, still in the eighties before it kind of hit sort of the glam rock, um, that it was, it was very much that Michael Jackson, Prince, yeah, kind of Bowie that was still kind of refining itself. Um, and so I, I think it was very much, it's very much probably for them a very much nostalgia thing because it just, it just feels, it just feels like listening to it, watching the videos, they're having just a lot of enjoyment, a lot of fun with it rather than because neither, 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 neither of them at this point, 2013 really need to be making, you know, music for to, to gain traction in their career. Yeah. They're both, all their careers established, you know, they could, that song could not put anything out, you know, and just tour and make sell out, you know, Pharrell's made tons, making tons from producing. So, there's there's no there's no there was no force the none of them felt force behind it and i think it's just you have you have this it's a, an admiration it's a nostalgia thing um and i think that's that's pretty interesting too because i don't think that happens a whole lot in an industry that can be kind of cutthroat and um you know we have favors and like that that it was none of that it was very much of a kind of like a friends and mentors jamming type thing yeah that's the thing i get with um the various things they've worked on um in the past it never seems like it's uh you know the label says we have to work with so and so or you know we've did, done this in the past now we have to work with this person you know i think when they come together it's always very um organic let's say uh, and it seems very very natural and relaxed and unforced and again that's probably part of the the appeal to the songs when they actually you know come out as well they have that feeling to them well and isn't NERD or at that time NERD was signed to Virgin or yes yeah they were that, yeah and so Daft Punk has also switched from Columbia to Virgin so that you know there's also that makes it a lot easier I mean not that typically Producers have to restrict in that way, but um, you know, I think often it's preferable you work with somebody who's on the same label. Um, that kind of that could be too. That there could be, you know, symbiosis kind of there. Less contracts you have to work around. And you also mentioned a moment ago the um, the Neptune's remix of um, what's it called? Uh, Harder, better, faster. That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. One of one of the worst intros of any song ever, but one of the best remixes of any song ever. I have to say, I think one, once I get over that uh, that initial intro, um, it's a it's a brilliant track. 
Uh, and like you say, it is almost a completely new and different track, not just um, a remix. But I have to say, I hate that intro. I really hate it. But but at the but at the time, yeah, and at the time, like that w- that would have been the case, you know, uh, so many years later. But they were both. But it was at the time where, you know, they knew what they were doing in terms of, of course, Pharrell and Chad wanted to do the Neptunes as a group, and that just they weren't, you know, none of the record labels were going to have it at the time because it was just, you know, you guys are too weird. We don't know market you. So they're like, okay, we're producers, and like a lot of producers are doing, you know, Tim Land. Uh, it's they, you know, they have people say the name on the track, so they were kind of very, very much going through that. So part of it was Daft Punk helping uh, the Neptunes build their uh, brand name. Um, I, I I thought it was kind of fun, but I I, I like how it kind of flipped up. But it, but of course, that track is, is is pretty different than what came later. I mean, because it's it's more kind of high octane or more fast paced but it still has that the Daft Punk brand of this is about fun. This is not about us. This is about fun. But um, I don't know. I, I kind of like the intro in that it's, it's like, you know, they're excited to be working together. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you have, yeah, the fact that Daft Punk was a lot more well-known at the time and, um, yeah, probably if it came a few years later, they wouldn't need that intro because yeah, that's already established. Should we move on to uh, Get Lucky? Yeah. All right, I'll uh, reel off some some absolutely ridiculous statistics for this one. Um, released on the 19th of April 2013, uh, as I mentioned, the first single off of the album... Uh, reached the top 10 in 32 countries across the world and sold more than 9.3 million copies. It won Record of the Year and Best Pop Duo slash Group Performance at the Grammys, uh, which also included uh, a performance with Stevie Wonder, I think it was we kind of earlier alluded to. Um, and there's also that... Uh, that rehearsal video that I think you can find on YouTube most places where even in the rehearsal where everyone's dressed casually, Daft Punk still have the helmets on, which uh, which I find quite amusing. The album version is you know over six minutes long with a four-minute radio edit. Uh, the official audio, I'm going to say video in, um, in air quotes on YouTube, has nearly half a billion views at this point. Um, a fan-made album version, which is kind of made from cuts of the the kind of teaser trailers, has you know over eight million v- uh, views so far. As mentioned, there's no kind of real official music video to this. Um, I think Noel Rogers kind of stated a few times in the past that, as we already mentioned, "Lose Yourself to Dance" was meant to be the kind of standout single. Single, so only some teasers were uh, were made for "Get Lucky," and that's kind of two 15-second. Uh, promo uh, slots that were shown during uh, SNL and at Coachella uh, and that's what kind of makes up these fan videos where you can kind of see see the same uh, bits looped over and over again I did like the fact that uh, I've read in an interview somewhere I think it was with maybe it's with Noel Rogers um, or maybe it was Pharrell I can't remember which but he was talking about um, the song itself it took nearly you know, 18 months to, to make and it nearly didn't get made, nearly didn't get finished due to lots of different um, 
scheduling conflicts and people kind of missing each other when they should have been meeting up and all this kind of thing. So it goes to show kind of uh, how much effort and time gets put into from an outsider's view would be is quite a kind of um, almost simplistic kind of song. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not it's not abnormal for these hits. I mean, I, what that triggered my mind was go to Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. This was, uh, this was re- I mean, that was recorded during the Pet Sounds era, which that was the album, of course, very influential now, but it was not a commercial success back then. But Good Vibrations, it cost, I think, $60,000 um, recorded in four different studios. Um, so, which that's a lot of money today. Um, so this, this, this is more, I think it, it, it didn't. And of course that was a huge, that was a huge single, but I think in this case, it, it wasn't so much, I, I got the sense it wasn't so much that they devoted so much time to it as the more it was a lot of scheduling. I mean, you have Nile, then you have Pharrell's busy schedule, but I think too, it shows just the time period of seven years between the last album and this is it something they really want to devote a lot of time and energy to. And it's something that they knew even if it didn't pay off, this was, I felt like sometimes this, this album was very much their dedication to what they grew up, grew up on. Um, maybe not sure whether it would take off, but again, it's, it's like not needing to do it for money. It's, it's very much kind of a, a love affair thing. And I think it's just, it just came at the right time. You had the right time of Pharrell's at really the, I don't not peak of its career, but really at a, at a large peak uh, with all that going on. Um, it is interesting that there is no real music video to it. And I, I almost wonder if that's because it's, it's one of those things when you're in the song you kind of your imagination can take shape and i think it too it's, it's one of those songs where it's like this even though lose yourself to dance is probably a minute the club one the get lucky is probably the one where people you know want to dance too and when you're kind of in that you're immersed in the feeling of of the song more than anything um and yeah it it it, it is interesting just making music myself it's interesting when i share with people what songs they like compared to what i like um but i I think they probably knew when it was coming out that this would be this this would be a big one um i i personally really like the the official remix um because i felt that was it's more like kind of reworking but i really like kind of how they uh chop that up in a very daft funk way because it's you know it's 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 the whole structure of the song is is different than a lot of the kind of electronic and dj ways they they did things yeah and just touching on that point where um you mentioned about um you know it was kind of no no video and stuff shot for this it, it with you know half a billion streams of you know just the the audio track on youtube it makes me wonder how much bigger this track kind of could have been if you didn't necessarily have blurred lines and parallels 
parallel as well. And if you did have an official music video and you had that um, additional, uh, let's say, reach via other channels where you would see videos. Um, Because obviously, you know, TV TV shows and and things like that that rely on music videos aren't going to I'm going to play an audio version with a, a static image there. Um, so it makes me wonder how big yeah, it could have been. And I think once it came out, I think they probably realized, oh, this is actually going to be the big one now. But from what I've what I've kind of read, I, I really don't think they had a clue beforehand, unfortunately. And, okay. and that... It may it, that may be down to them personally. That may be a, a kind of I don't know. Let's say uh, the the relevant marketing teams that that their label dropping the ball maybe slightly. Um, I, I don't know, but but it's um, yeah. In hindsight, it's it's crazy to imagine. Yeah, th- this song could have been you know even bigger than it was. Um, and it's still, it's one of those songs, it, it's kind of up there with, I talked about this when we did the, the Happy episode, you know, Happy is a great pop track, it's it's a slick, brilliantly produced and written track, but it's one of those where I've heard it so many times that if it comes on, I just, I will generally just zone out now, I don't pay attention to it at all, and, and Get Lucky is kind of one of those tracks to a certain extent as well, if it comes on in the background, it's just like, yeah, I've I've heard this like, you know, 300 million times already. I don't need to listen to it again. And I, yeah, I really don't think they, they expected that at all. Well, and, and I almost wonder if, I don't know if it was intentional, but you had, we're now in the era of what was happening in the 70s. The 70s, there was no real music videos. Music videos didn't really happen until MTV. And now we're kind of the back in that people do music videos, but I, you know, I don't regularly watch music videos um a, a lot of people you know you can find them on youtube but by 2013 you know mtv vh1 had shifted to reality shows um a lot of people are not getting their music from music videos i think um so i think part of it maybe worked in that way that you know most people are getting streams they're getting recommendations they're hearing it somewhere they're hearing it at the club they're hearing it um at the store um you know friends are sending in hey you gotta listen to this um so that 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 marked a difference to where you yeah you don't need a music video anymore to uh market yourself and to the to again to established artists it's funny too when i think about the get lucky music video might think goes this you know essentially lose yourself to dance works for it too but i feel it 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 almost works because it's very much like the subject of the song it's very much kind of like a makeout song it's a makeout and dance with your partner you're not concerned with what visuals are attached to it um because we're just you know you think i, I think about other songs that you know have been big like in the past decade like uptown funk Probably not many people actually seen that video. There's a video, I mean, it's sort of popular, but it wasn't really a thing compared to the song, which was at one point, like, I think just from the the streams making Mark Ronson like $800,000 a week, you know, it's just, it was just so huge. Um, I think I think that's what we're in now. And I think it's, it's, it's too, that one thing I like about the lyrics is it, is it it's, 
stirs your imagination to you see the scenes. And um, I think that's, that's something Pharrell is very good at. I think both of them are very good at. I just, you know, at least how my imagination works, kind of immersed in that story. And there is sort of like a kind of, there is sort of a story of like, I feel very much kind of like teenage love that's being told throughout a lot of the album. Um, that I think it takes you back to a time where we listened to music without the visuals. And that was, you know, pretty much the time period of it as influence of late seventies, early eighties before you had all these videos for the hook. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I partly agree there. I think, yeah, we, we definitely, um, we definitely at least consume things slightly differently or fairly differently now. You know, I remember sort of in the uh, late 80s, early 90s when there was like a new Michael Jackson video that was going to be, you know, premiered on TV at some point. It was, you know, it was an event. It was, you know, I'd, I'd ask my mum to you know, stay up late to watch it and stuff and watch it when it kind of came out. You'd record it on the VHS and then play it back, you know, over and over again to, to kind of rewatch it. But I think... The videos themselves, I think they still do play um, a fairly important part of the kind of the marketing and the tying the song um, or giving the song kind of more exposure, I guess. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. I know what you mean in terms of, you know, this song, it doesn't necessarily need a video. It's, it, you know, obviously it's done very, very well without it, you know, just based on the quality of the song. Um but like you know, Uptown Funk, for example, I think that has like 1.2 billion views or something on YouTube now. 1.3 yeah. billion, something ridiculous. Um, and that is part, you know, that's a mixture of people actually watching the video. Now, yeah, I, I know when that came out, my kid was probably four years old, five years old, something like that, and he watched that video a hundred times, more than a hundred times, probably a hundred times a day. And it's also a mixture of you know, kind of teenagers that will open YouTube press play on a video that they like just because they like the song not the video itself and then just let youtube kind of play in the background while they do other things there's also that, that element to it as well and i think that's where a lot of get lucky's views on you views in air quotes on youtube um probably came from just it being recommended and playing in the background a lot of the time but I think it was that 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 time period because now we're coming now we're coming to i think an emergency now that especially YouTube has, YouTube was, I think that time YouTube hadn't been taken over by Google, but now you're having more of that mesh between the visuals and the audio and you're having more of that music video thing. Now that kind of like, for example, Pharrell's company, I Am Other Entertainment, it's an entertainment company because it's no longer, it's not just about the music anymore. It's about the kind of uh, convergence. And that's something when I was a journalist, we talked about convergence of, you know, written word, audio, podcast, video. Um, it's kind of call on coming to play and how it meshes with movies. Um, so it's like now there's kind of, I feel, a, a resurgence. You have, you know, MTV actually has a channel now where it just shows music videos. Um so I think, and I think that's pretty exciting. I just, I just felt at the timeline, like I think it could have worked because there is the music video component, but there is people are, I, I don't think it would have worked if it, like it was like not probably a dance, you know, pop song, obviously. But I think, I think in that way, it really 
it really worked. And two, you have the allure of a of a of a duo who is very that then I thought because the duo is very visually based. I mean, just their 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 concerts are a whole experience. It's not just them performing; it's a whole experience. So I, I think it was. I think too, in that way, it was really the right time as well. But could it have happened that way without you know the success of Blurred Lines and Happy, which are very you know they music videos and Happy, of course, has this whole undertaking of twenty four hours of the the videos. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think it was a yeah probably not intended, but it was the right time thing. So. Yeah, and also it probably doesn't apply to um, to get lucky, you know, directly itself. But there's also this other component to um, to a music video, you know, from around that time up until now, and will be, you know, for the foreseeable future. And that's the kind of um, the fan interaction side of things as well, which then helps, um, you know, promote it and get a buzz, you know, around the world. And we, we saw that with Happy, with, yep. you know, people doing their own versions of the Happy video kind of all over the world. And we see it now with, um, you know, like I say, you know, Get Lucky was probably going to be massive no matter what, um, even if they didn't expect it to be that massive. But, you know, we, we see, like, I think one example, a recent example I can think of is like, it's like Justin Bieber, for example, what was his last track? Is it called Yummy? Yeah, Yummy. That's, you know, it, it's an okay pop track. But, you know, the kind of video was a big proponent to it, or big uh, part of it, because it then leads to all these kind of, um, you know, fan versions and uh, fan dance challenges. And, and again, we start with NRD with Lemon, with the Lemon kind of dance challenge stuff they did with that. And, you know, that kind of then, you know, spreads into the wider world of, um, Instagram and I was going to say Twitter, maybe not Twitter quite so much nowadays, but uh, TikTok, for example. You know, my my kids just downloaded that recently, which which meant I had to download it to set up the kind of parent account. And I'm sat there flicking through that, wondering what is going on in the world as I flick through all these videos of people doing all these dance challenges and whatever it may be to kind of you know some of the the latest songs by people who I have no idea who they are. Um, it's, it's maybe me just showing my age a little bit more here, but yeah, I think that that's an important part of, you know, a kind of marketing strategy now. And like I say, it probably doesn't apply to, uh, apply, apply to Get Lucky itself because uh, it's not that kind of track. But I think it was just, yeah, it's just missing some of those, I see some of those components, you know, a video, a even a really simplistic video, an official video made up of, those promo things that they shot and done in a slightly more cohesive, interesting way, I think would have, um, would have really helped it as well. Um, Cause you know, we saw one of the promo slots is very similar to the, um, you know, lose yourself to dancer on a stage are wearing slightly different sequin jackets. I think they're wearing black ones in the, the get lucky video. And then you've also got another promo spot where they're kind of on a stage silhouetted, um, in front of the in front of a sunset, I think it is, or a sunrise, whatever it might be, um, and they're both very well shot, very slick, um, and I think even if an, an official video had been made out of that and other bits and pieces that had been shot on the day, um, I think that would have also certainly um, wouldn't have helped the track necessarily. It didn't need help, but it would have, uh, I think, added to it slightly. Yeah, maybe giving it more more appeal. But it, but it all, I mean, yeah, and I think so, but it's, it's kind of funny too, the, the synchronicity with the song is, is get lucky and they got lucky. 
you know they, <laughs> they, they really did get lucky and it's one of those songs where i'm not much of a singer i i do like to sing more you know usually when those people are around but get lucky is one of those songs where i find myself once having my finger and wanting to sing along it's a very very catchy karaoke song too. yes definitely yeah. and and i think it it has that i've been to karaoke in a while but that's my one i might do i it's just one of those where it's again those those high notes i mean that, that i was gonna is, say can you can you hit those high notes no and 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 again like i don't know if, if, if pharrell would have been able to you know a decade before but um you know it, it shows how much his because you know voice voices do mature and it showed how much his voice has matured and and I think that was the significant thing of showing um, that Pearl's more than a producer. He is, he, is a, he is a vocalist as well. And he's a, you know, he's really channeled with his, his inner Michael Jackson there. It's quite funny because I, I know around this time um, he did an interview. I can't remember who it was with. But they were talking about... Yeah, him singing on tracks, and he's always kind of said like you know, he doesn't consider himself a singer, and you know, he's kind of accidentally, you know, originally accidentally ended up doing all these kind of hooks, where you know he will do the reference track uh, for an artist, and they will like the way he's sung it, so they will keep him on it or make him redo it. But it was around this time when he was recording or starting to record some of the Girl album, and he'd employed I think two different vocal coaches, if I remember rightly. Um, and I remember him saying, you know, he, he had no interest necessarily in doing lots more vocal work, um, whether that means putting out the girl album or future albums, I don't, I don't know, but he was talking about, he wasn't really interested in vocal stuff too much anymore or at that time. Um, but he'd been kind of coerced, maybe the word to actually employ some vocal coaches and work on the vocals and kind of, um, actually learn how to make it easier for himself because I think he's also always said like you know he's not a singer he doesn't he doesn't find it easy to be able to hit those high notes and be able to kind of um get it perfect every time so he was spending um I think hours every day if I remember rightly with um, a couple of different vocal coaches around that time and I think this is where it's really starting to show with these kinds of tracks yeah and and I mean and you get to just thinking of the hidden figures soundtrack which is one of my favorite things he's put out in in past few years of him singing on that i mean those those songs you know there's of course other other singers on there but you know very you know very gospel um you know that that also is a great example of how much his how much his vocal vocalization singing talents have improved as well and I think that he's, you know, got to a place where he enjoys it and people people enjoy him singing. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember seeing him years ago with, um, well, one of the many, many times I've seen him with NERD. And in those early shows, sort of first, up until, I don't know, 2006, 2007 maybe, he would struggle in a lot of those shows. He would struggle on just from the, you know, the, the touring and the kind of constant having to do that every other night. But you could also tell in certain songs, he couldn't, you know, doing it live, he really struggled to hit a lot of those notes. And you saw that after, or when the kind of fronting came out, basically, you know, 
when he would do that track, there were some days when he was really on form and he'd probably been been rested and, and stuff and he would be able to do it. But there, out of the kind of nearly, I think, 15 times I've seen him live now, I think the vast majority when it comes to front end, when it comes to those kind of falsetto type parts, um, that's when he goes quiet and puts the mic out to the audience. Um and lets them do the hard work for him. But as you say, in like, you know, in recent years, I think he's, yeah, he's really been working um, on that area. I think he's realised that he, he's had to, essentially, to be able to keep making music, to be involved in the music the way he has been, to be able to, you know, record his own music when he wants to. Um, and we kind of see that with, I was going to mention later on in the kind of bits and news and stuff that we've got, you know, like uh, Letter to My Godfather, which got, you know, nominated for uh, an Oscar last year. Is it, was it last year? Yeah, last year. All the days and months blur into one at the moment. Yeah. Um, but but that's, you know, there's obviously a lot of auto-tune um, encompassed in the vocals of that track, um, which he kind of chose to do, but I've still seen him do that track uh, on numerous TV shows live um, with with different levels of auto-tune, you know, on his vocals at that time. But you can still kind of really um, hear where he's worked on his voice, where he is still kind of reaching those high notes that, yeah, many years ago he either wouldn't be able to or he would kind of just not do it and he would let the backing track take over or he would let somebody else take over for him. Yeah, and I mean, both Happy and Good Lucky were were the people saying we like your singing too, um, which you know, maybe put some more pressure, but he's at, because he's at the point in his career too, where he doesn't really have to do anything. Um, you know, he doesn't really have to sing, but it's obvious that people, it's more now people enjoy it. Whereas before, yeah, he was often singing on tracks because they were pumping out, Neptune's are just pumping out, pumping out productions and they didn't have somebody all the time. They didn't, you know, maybe Khalees wasn't available or, Vanessa Marquez or whatever and so you know they wanted Pharrell and and it worked and um but now he's you know he's a solo the solo artist which I'm wondering how much that will change now that and I'm pretty excited about that that Pharrell and Chad are both back um in the studio like they said they locked themselves in the studio um that now the Neptunes are kind of coming back and re-emerging because they're always there, but, you know, they're pretty much doing kind of their own thing the past few years. And so are we going to see back to Pharrell being more of kind of a featured um, vocalist? Um, is he wanting to, do you want to change it that way? Um, I think that's kind of exciting, but I mean, you know, you also have, you still have NERD and it'd be interesting to see if they do another album. I mean, I really, really, really love, the latest one, but um, that that'll be interesting. It's just to see if that if that dips out or if that increases. And that, if you have nothing else on Get Lucky, that segues uh, perfectly into some of the news that I had uh, lined up. Yeah, go ahead. Anything else for Get Lucky? No. All right, cool. Well, let's move on to some of the news then. And yeah, as you say, um, the Neptunes back in the studio uh, together. Uh, I'm not going to reel off everything they're working on at the moment. You can head over to the Neptunes.org um, for a list of 
upcoming and ongoing projects for this year and also um, everything they made last year. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But but yeah, we've seen them back in the studio recently with um, Missy, Megan The Stallion. I think those tracks have come out since. Um, Azuna, more Beck stuff, Justin Timberlake, Pusha T, Brandy and Ray J randomly, uh, although he has worked with them in the past. Uh, Rihanna is in the studio with them, um, although when her album will come out, nobody knows. Uh, Tiger, not a fan myself, but I hear he's popular, uh, and many other kind of people. So, so yes, the, the Neptunes are back. I do get the feeling amongst the the kind of Neptunes Pharrell fan community. No, there's a, there's a lot of um, a lot of people that aren't, let's say, pleased isn't the right word, but aren't necessarily feeling a lot of the the more recent Neptunes stuff. I, for one, I I, I generally like a lot of the stuff that's come out um, in the last last year or so that they've been working on. I think we have to sort of realise that you know it's not. It's no longer 2001, 2002. Um, I think the the Neptunes are never necessarily going to sound like that kind of classic time period. They've their their sound has evolved. They've evolved as people. Their styles and processes and influences have evolved. So we're we're seeing you know different stuff from from them now. But I like the fact that they. They seem to be mixing it up this year a lot more. They're working with the likes of Missy and Justin Timberlake, you know, going back to some of the classic stuff, Pusher, Rage, etc. But then also trying completely new stuff like like the Beck stuff recently that Pharrell worked on, uh, which I thought was really good. Uh, and I believe Chad will be working on as well going forward. Um, so I'm really interested to see what they're they're going to put out this year with these kind of various artists. Yeah, and I and I, I mean I think it's been it's been long overdue, but in terms of yeah, I mean that's something I've you know had discussions with or arguments with certain fans is that is that artists need to artists need to and do evolve, and these are these are lifelong artists, um, especially now. Neither of them is in it for the money; they they're they're set that way. Um, but yeah, they're they're not going to sound like they did before, and that's a lot of a lot. Of, there's going to be fan base of all types of people. There's going to be Kanye and Timbaland fans who want him to sound like he used to, and that's that's not what artists do. They 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 evolve. They you know, Radiohead fans want what ha, what what they were doing before, and it's 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 not fair to expect, and it's not. It's very fair to ask, but I think people were really wanting them to be kind of merged rather than I feel on a lot of stuff like in ERD and it's a lot of like they almost have a telepathic sort of connection of the of that, you know, like you had with you had with clips with Hell Hath No Fury, like technically it was really more Pharrell with the clips in the studio, but it, you know, has both their names on it because they, you know, there's a, there's a vibing there, but actually having them do the magic in the studio, it, it's something that the, it, it's something that you can kind of tell the difference in. But yeah, to to ask for people to for them to just kind of go back. I mean, they they have kind of still the sort of nostalgia tracks, and I felt like the NRD um, was a very good representation of 
sort of what they've already put out so far in terms of their style, but also moving forward because you have to, you have to adapt as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, and that's just, you know, some, some fans of any artist are never going to be pleased. Um, but I'm always, I'm always interested in, to see when they get in the studio with certain people. Like, I feel like there's certain artists when they get in the studio, they are advancing. Uh, other artists, they are kind of there for those artists to back up kind of whatever they want to do. Like when, when Pharrell and Chad, when Stefani, it's going to go in an interesting direction. It's going to go in a new direction. Um, you know, when they get with clips and these artists where they really have this drive forward, it gets in really interesting areas. Some, some artists just want what they're doing, but a Neptune's version of. So I'm interested to see too, who, if they're going to get with more type of Gwen Stefani's types or more new types who are going to want to say, I want to go out of the box. So that was something I was listening to Pharrell talking about when he's talking about, um, you know, working with Daft Punk. He's like, you know, I'm going for the out of box stuff. Like if you're not out of the box, I don't want to be near you. I don't want to catch whatever you're catching. So, and I feel like that out of the box stuff happens beyond the pop stuff, even more when Pharrell is with Chad. Like they, they, they can kind of ramp up that weirdness. So I think that's the excitement um, too, because, um, you know, Chad is, they're both innovators, but I feel Chad has more of that interest in going beyond the pure pop aesthetic. Um, so I, I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited to see, see where they go with that. Yeah, and I'm with you. I, I I want to hear that slightly weird, out of the box stuff that we're not necessarily um, expecting. That isn't that kind of typical Neptune sound. And and this is the kind of problem I have when I when I chat with other people. Um, there may there's there is definitely stuff they put out that isn't to to my taste. Um, but that doesn't mean it's you know it's trash doesn't mean it's not any good it's just yeah it's, it's, it's not my thing and i think yeah a lot of a lot of fans have to kind of realize that as well and i think that that will tie into a lot of the kind of bbc ice cream stuff we talk about later as well with some of the the uh, remake of ice creams and things as well we've got this you know that real old school core loyal fans since day one that just wants the original stuff and wants nothing to change. And then you've got the other people that want to, uh, let's say, embrace the change a little bit more and look forward to how things evolve and develop and may not always be to your taste, but, you know, at least they're pushing things forward. Yeah, and I think people also forget that on one, one of the reasons Pharrell's big inspiration to me as a person, as you know, making music is, you know, he says my success comes from other people. It comes from fans. It comes from people listening and buying or stuff. And so, so in the same way, you know, he's got, they have to adapt to times. I, I, was, I was thinking about that in terms of uh, actually Star Trek, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of Star Trek fans who don't like the new track, but you have to meet people where they are. You have, you know, you have a different audience. The audience was watching Star Trek, you know, 30 years ago is aging or is dying. Uh, you have, you know, you have a new 
audience of younger people um, who want something different. Um, you know, who are Neptunes are making, you know, they're not making, you know, jazz music from, you know, the 60s, although I'm, my fingers crossed they might do a jazz album as they promised years years ago. Um, but that they, you know, the music they're making is for consumption of the major demographic, which is, you know, 18 to 24, 18 to 34. Um, you know, they're not, they, they can't do this stuff for when I was 18, 2003, you know, um, that, that, yeah, that. they can't. They can't do stuff for the old heads constantly. Yeah, yeah, as you say, there's there's a younger demographic. That's uh, that's who they have to appeal to as well. Because you know, this is again what I think what people forget is when they're producing tracks, they they are producers. They are being paid to make a a track for an artist, and that artist wants a return on that money they've paid, whether that's you know, single sales or streams, whether that's video watches and money from the ad revenue, whether it's album sales, it, it doesn't matter. You know, that there is, um, it is a business, essentially. And, you know, I think music means more to us than that and more to most people than, than that. And that, but that's kind of what you also have to remember, you know, the, the Neptunes are not just Pharrell and Chad super producers. It is the Neptunes which are a business and part of, as you mentioned earlier, Star Trek Entertainment, which is a company which has to pay people salaries and has to make money. So there's that aspect. And I'm sure they don't go into any kind of session thinking they have to make a pop song which is going to blow up. But at the same time, you know, as as producers working for other people, um, I'm sure they have to, you know, be diligent and... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, they have to have the artist's best interests at heart, which I'm sure they do. And part of that has to be, you know, there has to be an end product which other people are going to enjoy as well and hopefully pay for, essentially. Yeah, and I, and I mean, it. Yeah, people forget they drew in the Neptunes as a production deal because they couldn't, you know, back then they couldn't do it as a group. So you know, we're we're getting. Essentially, we get an NRD album or a Pharrell album. You know, we're getting what they really want out. But when they're, yeah, when they're producing, they're Pharrell describes it. I don't know if you saw. He did an interview with Rick Rubin, which is really interesting because they're both uh, credible producers. I mean, Rick Rubin's a legend, and yeah. you know, it was a really good kind of heady conversation. But you know, him asking about you know when you go into the studio with somebody. Um, you kind of know what you want. And, you know, Pharrell says sometimes he, you know, Pharrell says sometimes when he's worked with certain people, he can take the ego hat off. Sometimes he, he takes it on in terms of, you know, pushing kind of direction, but it depends on what they have going on. Sometimes he'll come up, he'll have something already that he's thought of. And then sometimes it's, it's the artist is leading it. And then people forget that, you know, Artists are a lot of, they, everyone's got their own issues. Everyone's got their own egos. And um, some, of, some of these artists are very specific about what they want. And, and, and it's different with, you know, you have to produce like Danger Rouse, one of my favorite, who typically he, you know, says, I want to produce an album. I don't do songs. He does. But, 
you know, when you're producing songs, though, like the Neptune to Timeline, the artist is thinking and, and their representative thinking, how is this going to fit within the album? Especially because now we're very much in an era, I feel, of that kind of albums that you have the songs, but it's not kind of like the 90s when you have all these different songs. You kind of, I feel like a lot of hip hop, especially, you have, you're having a similar vibe throughout. So often it's, it's them knowing, okay, what's the overall vibe of this album? And then how can we kind of mesh into that? So it's, it's, it's never going to be kind of what the fans want as opposed to when, you know, but at the same time, people are coming to the Neptune because they want the Neptune sound. Um, and that's always going to be there, but I'm also interested in when they, you know, have someone's like, I want the Neptune sound, but I want what you guys are wanting to go in a direction of. And I think that's where I, I you get the most interesting things, but, um, you know, fans are going to want different things. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's what it's, at the end of the day, they go in with artists want. And uh, that's, that's what's dictated what the artist wants, what their, what their representative wants. Um, but uh, you speaking of, I, I don't know if you remember the, the clones album. I think they had in the clones album, the, the liner notes, they feel like a jazz album was coming and it never happened. But I think, I think some of the tracks on NERD's nothing uh, album were kind of close, but I've been kind of crossing my fingers that maybe they'll take this time in the studio to, because both, I mean, especially Chad is like a jazz uh, virtuoso, especially piano. Um, so I, I, I'd be interested to see if they can come up with something like that. Because um, I feel I feel it doesn't happen enough. Yeah, I, I'd love to see something. Um, and yeah, I'd love to see a Clones Two album. But at the same time, yeah, I'd love to see um, just something completely weird and wonderful and out there and almost like a passion project that they both kind of want to do in some way. I think that would be um, really cool. Um, one little thing I did notice this week, and just this kind of loosely ties in, um, obviously everyone is uh, is stuck at home, but meetings still have to happen. Uh, and I saw a screen grab of um, a meeting of people from, uh, from I Am Mother and other places, and... Uh, Chad's wife was was on this uh, this kind of video call. Um, I think it was her name was listed there in the thing. Uh, so it was a her in one little box off to the side, but then kind of Chad was sat off to the side in the picture with her as well. And he was on. He had like a saxophone or a clarinet or something in his mouth, and that just kind of came across as like typical, slightly weird, slightly quirky Chad. Just, I can imagine him just constantly, no matter what people are trying to do, just always sat there with, with his saxophone or yeah, with a clarinet or some, some weird and wonderful instrument, just you know, riffing constantly and uh, making things up, and and I, I hope that comes into fruition in some kind of way. I hope something comes of of all of the stuff that he's been doing the last kind of few years when the Neptunes haven't necessarily been working that closely together. Yeah, and yeah. Also, talking of kind of new music, uh, there was a new video from Aunt Clemens featuring Pharrell uh, the, for the track Aladdin that came out this week. You can find that on on YouTube. Um, it's I haven't watched it properly yet, but it depicts both of them in some kind of eight bit uh, computer game scenario. Uh, so I'll be giving that a watch this week. Have you managed to see that one yet? 
I have not, no. Okay, yeah, we'll check that out this week. I will leave a link in the show notes for that. Um, some other kind of related news. Um, the Neptunes were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I think it was the start of this year, maybe around January time. May have been the end of last year. Obviously, uh, well-deserved um, and great that they're kind of getting the, the recognition for all of the songs that they've kind of you know, written and produced over the years. Obviously, the, the the list is almost endless at this point. Again, I'll leave a link in the show notes to um, a video of Pharrell and Chad uh, getting that kind of award. Other news that's happened... Um, Tyler won best Grammy, uh, won best Grammy, the best Grammy ever, uh, won a Grammy for best rap album, which is, I think, as he said at the time, a, I think a slightly ridiculous category these days. Uh, he gave a, a shout out to Pharrell. Uh, we briefly mentioned the Tyler album, I think, a couple of times um, on previous episodes, um, but a brilliant album. And it, you know, if they get rid of some of these horrible stereotypical type um, categories, dated categories that they have. Um, I think that album would have been up potentially for just best album of last year. Um, while I'm not a, a Tyler fan, really, uh, like some of his stuff, I think that album was uh, an absolutely brilliantly, brilliant album, brilliantly produced. You can definitely hear all of the kind of Neptunes, NERD, Pharrell influences in there as well. So congratulations to Tyler for that. We also had news about uh, the Something in the Water Festival that was announced that was meant to be taking place May, I do believe, this year. There was a set, there was going to be a separate set uh, from from Chad himself. Again, I have no idea and almost don't imagine what stuff he would have played in his own separate set. But I think the biggest news that was coming out of Something in the Water was Eclipse Reunion. The Clips were actually going to uh, perform as a duo. Uh, they did state that this didn't mean this. This meant they weren't going to be, you know, for, you know, formally getting back together, recording or anything. But they were going to be at the festival performing as the Clips. That would have been amazing to have seen. Um, but unfortunately, something in the water, along with pretty much every other festival for this spring and summer has now been cancelled. Yeah. We have got a ton of uh, BBC Adidas-related stuff, so I'm going to reel off some of this stuff really, really quickly, um, and then we can get to any other stuff you've got at your end as well. Over at BBC, we have seen uh, BBC Adidas Hebrew Brantley capsule uh, release in the US. Uh, I think there was a Miami event that launched it. Pharrell was there. Obviously, Hebrew Brantley was there. A number of other people. Check that one out. We we saw new Human Made and Star Trek merch. Star Trek, yes. Star Trek merch released in Japan only at a, a pop-up store, which I think was around for a week or two weeks or something. Um some really nice merch there. I was keen to get my hands on some of that stuff, but unfortunately couldn't. Big news from BBC EU. They are no longer just a, a standard offshoot of Billionaire Boys Club. They are now a luxury arm of BBC. Um, you will probably have got that feeling over the last year or so if you shop at BBC EU at all with the, let's say, slowly rising price of pretty much every item but that is for good reason that is because they are kind of obviously designing their own um, stuff it is being 
all the, the kind of materials are sourced and uh, produced uh, separately away from BBC US and not necessarily made in, um, let's say, cheaper places of manufacture. Um, a lot of stuff is made in Japan for them. There is a lot of stuff done in, um, as well in China and places like that. But uh, it's definitely more a more limited number of items, um, as I say, kind of independently designed um, and will now be a, a complete luxury arm of the, the kind of BBC brand. Uh, we've seen some recent releases really proving that point. Um, some of the new Swarovski items on their new website um, they've got T-shirts and hoodies with the kind of OG uh, BBC Arch logo there. Um, and I think the hoodies were 900 and something euros. T-shirts, 300 and something euros. I think it's good that we're starting to see uh, this more lux luxury, yeah, luxe side of BBC kind of come back. Yeah. It's going to hurt in the pocket for some people that like to collect this stuff. Um, but I think it's great that we've got a really good mixture now of BBC. You know, you've got the, the standard, almost standard BBC US stuff, uh, the collaborations and stuff they're doing over there. You've got BBC Japan doing their own thing, essentially. Some great designs coming out of there. And then the EU, um, which has been doing great stuff for the last few years. Um, they are completely relaunching ice cream, that's coming soon as well. Um, I think that was kind of due to be towards the start of this summer, but that's now going to get pushed back just because of all the stuff going on in the world at the moment and delays coming out of China and stuff like that. Um, so we should have some more news about that soon. But we will see an official relaunch of ice cream um, as a, I think, or I assume as a kind of completely separate standalone luxury brand um, as it was kind of back in the day with the, the OG stuff. In terms of sneakers, we've got a bunch of sneaker stuff. We uh, we have the Adidas 4D uh, Pharrell edition, which has uh, been released. We've got new multicolored solar solar hues. Uh, we've got the crazy BYW 2.0s. Uh, more hue collections, so new Stan Smiths, uh, Nisa Highs, SC Premieres, Continental 80s. We've got the new 0-60 to 60 statements, which are um, a slightly more futuristic take on the uh, sort of BYW silhouette uh, with some crazy materials and um, iridescent colours, and they, they look like some crazy moon boot of some kind. Um, lots of new uh, ice cream stuff, lots of BBC Kids stuff. Um, I think the most, I'm not going to say controversial, but... Um, one of the a couple of the releases that has um, caused the most talk, I think, in the kind of uh, BBC ice cream community recently, is the re-release of uh, ice creams uh, in partnership with Reebok. And obviously, we saw um, these announced towards the end of last year, and then we saw some of them at ComplexCon. Um, we saw the, I think the the original Zig Kinetica. Um, BBC collaboration with the Starfield design. We saw the um, Iverson, the Answer Fives in a certain colorway. There are now three colorways. But we've also got the Reebok BB4000 and the BB4600, so um, a low and a mid 
in the diamond and dollar design, uh, in the, the white colorway and the tan colorway. They've been released uh, out to the public. I actually got a pair of the 4000s today, uh, a tan colorway one, so the lows. Um, I won't go into them in too much detail here. I'll probably save that for next week's podcast and probably talk about it in a bit more sort of detail then. But a whole lot of ice creams. And also coming up, um, I think on Monday, Sunday or Monday, on the 5th of April, it is the third, uh, I guess we call it National International Ice Cream Day. Um you know, take a picture of your, not just your ice creams now, but also kind of, you know, Pharrell-related sneakers, accessories, clothing, whatever it is you've got. Put them on Instagram or Twitter. Tag at King of Creams. He wants to see all of your pictures. And make sure you use the hashtag WeAllScreamIceCreams with a Z at the end there. Um, looking forward to seeing some uh, really interesting pictures the last couple of years. We've seen everyone breaking out some of the some of the classics, some of the stuff, some of the things they've had stored away for for years and years, breaking them out, undead stocking them, uh, posting some pictures up, and it's really great to see um, everybody in the kind of community uh, digging out their old ice creams and posting them up. I think that's pretty much everything I had. Clayton, anything else from yourself? I wanted well, I want to talk a little bit about the the clothing in terms of. You know, I've been a Neptune's fan since the year 2000, and I was never too big into the fashion piece, but mostly that's because where I grew up in Denver, there was Denver, Colorado, there was no stores that sold anything ice cream or um, BBC related. But now I live in Portland, um, there's a store downtown called Compound, which actually sells BBC um, stuff. They're all Neptune's fans there. Um, they've got some bait stuff and some um, ice cream stuff. And so now I'm for the first time an owner of some BBC stuff. I got one was a BBC jacket, kind of space jacket, um, which unfortunately got a little ripped. Um <laughs> But it, it, yeah, they're, they're, they were kind of a, a special purpose because usually when it comes to clothes, I buy used or I buy just generic label. Um, but like I have a BBC poncho thing that um, probably spent too much money on, but it's, it's cool. And at one point, I, a few years ago, I had bought from a guy, I used a Star Trek jacket, which there's very few of those. Um, and I, think they're talked about putting those out back out mm-hmm. but i don't know if it happened or if that has already happened but um it I, one thing that occurred to me with the the clothing is you know how important that must be to frell in terms of other revenue streams because music's granted they're going to make money off of music but they can't always guarantee it so um it's 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 interesting how it's been it's used as another form of self-expression. I remember um, I remember meeting Pharrell 2004 after an ARD show. I'm rambling like a nerdy fan, and um, I remember asking him about ice creams and he his autograph table. 
and he just puts his foot up on the table. Uh, this, that's kind of how he is. Um, and I think I think the most interesting thing about BBC that I really like is the tagline is, um, you know, wealth is of the heart and mind, not the pocket, um, which is an interesting contrast because you have a clothing line that's pretty expensive. Um, I, I was going to say that the, I don't think the irony is lost on them, but it is uh, it is quite ironic when you read that and it's on a piece of clothing that has cost you an absolute small fortune as well. Yeah, but yeah, and I mean, at the at the at the at the same time, it's it's, it's yeah, understanding that that's a you know, it's it's these collectors' items, and and um, you know, essentially for 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 fans who can't afford it. I've seen some. It's 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 hard for this is be the only kind of brand I can really say. Yeah, I'm willing to spend you know. Ninety dollars for a T-shirt, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's because it's because you, you're 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 part of a you're part of a club, I guess, that feels rich. That you kind of you know you discovered something. You know you're part of kind of a, a family, and I think that's kind of the point of uh, you know I didn't know about that actually the ice cream day that because I know April fifth is is Pharrell's birthday. Um, yep. But um, yeah, that that's kind of that's kind of cool. I think it's it's you kind of have that community because it wasn't until we're really getting into NetTunes.org and kind of that fanship is starting to meet more people who are really really into the clothing. Um, you know, have strong opinions on clothing. I'm I'm not uh, too opinionated on fashion other than um, I very much vibe with it. But now I start thinking more about shoes and stuff. Like right now, you know, I. Portland, where I live, I actually live in Beaverton, which is a suburb of Portland, and Nike World headquarters is here in Beaverton. You also have Adidas U.S. headquarters. Um, I've never been much of a shoe person, but now I have, because people give me or bought used, I have more shoes than I ever have, so now I'm kind of... Um, thinking about that there's another store downtown portland um that sells mostly used shoes but they have yeezys and they also have um ice creams uh there that are i don't know if they've been slightly used but yeah you can get them um they're cheaper than their brand cost i think they have some new ones and uh that's again probably where I'd be willing to uh, buy those because there's the two I've seen more people BBC that they're kind of conversation piece. They're kind of saying, "Hey, at least I'm an Epstein fan. I'm a Pharrell fan," and so there's sort of kind of uniforms identifiers there. Um, but that's only been something recently. I kind of started thinking about. Um, outside of that, I don't really have uh, too many um, too many opinions outside of the, the fashion piece but i know that it's, it's a big part of uh that community yeah definitely it's um the newer stuff people of my age or around my age and yeah us people in our 30s that were buying the stuff when it kind of first came out um i think a lot of people have kind of lost interest in it you know bbc went through a, a fairly awful period a number of years back where um 
yeah, they just kind of get, you know, shares got sold. Frail wasn't really interested in it. He still isn't really now, to be honest, as far as I'm aware. Um, but, you know, they, they kind of gave out contracts to, you know, every department store. It, it, basically, anyone that asked, anyone that asked for stock, anyone that asked for an account, they gave it out. And you could go and buy, you know, BBC and ice cream stuff, things for, you know, sort of $20, $30 um, in places like TK Maxx and these kind of lower end stores. Um, it really kind of hurt the brand. And I think since then, a lot of people haven't really been that interested in the brand, apart from, you know, us sort of few that were sort of, you know, buying um, the original stuff back in the day. But I think that's why it's good to see in recent years the company diversifying a little bit, you know, the pop-up store in Miami uh, doing slightly different stuff. Uh, letting the the team in Japan do their own thing, letting the team in the EU do their own thing, um, and now kind of turning that more into a luxury high-end um, arm of the brand. And again, you look at the EU stuff, and you know, they're out there setting up their own record label, hosting events, um, doing all sorts of uh, cool collaborations with, with uh, artists and stuff like that. Um, so it's starting to gain a bit more interest, and there there is this kind of thing happening in I hate the term streetwear, but in the streetwear world, let's say, because people know what I'm referring to, where the younger people now are looking back um, at those kind of original retro type items of the early 2000s. It's weird to say, you know, items of the early 2000s are now considered, you know, retro or vintage or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there, there is that kind of appeal again for the, those old designs, and we're seeing that with BBC at the moment. You know, they're starting to put out diamonds and dollars stuff again because they're they're kind of getting access to, I think, some of the the prints and the licensing and stuff again. So they're, they're able to kind of put out um, versions of the hoodies that were really popular, you know, 20 years ago. Japan are doing their own take on some of them with um, the fleeces and things like that. Um, so th- there is this kind of resurgence for some of the the OG stuff because you know younger people want that stuff, but I think that is causing let's say rumblings in the uh, in the kind of uh, collector community and you know people that I know and that I speak to as well. Some people don't like those kind of original classic designs being touched and being redone. They don't want to see these things retroed. I myself, similar to as we mentioned earlier, I'm I'm keen to see the brand or brands go forward um, and try new things, and they're definitely trying lots of different new things. But at the same time, you know they they are a business; they do need to um, pull from some of those classic designs and you know uh, potentially reuse them where they see necessary or where they they kind of really want to. Um, so yeah, I, I don't mind a lot of this stuff kind of coming back out. And again, the ice creams I won't go too much into at the moment. I'll, I'll save that for next week. But um, again, while not everything is to everyone's taste, um, yeah, we have to realise that yeah they have to try new things. They have to try and reboot old things if they think they'll work and they'll be popular again. And um, and that's what happens in business, unfortunately. It's not to, not always to everyone's taste. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's interesting, too, as I say, the other thing about the fashion, I never really was able to get, because at least back in the day, they didn't have, they weren't selling anything online. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like I just okay, yeah, they can yeah, can actually buy stuff online. And you know, there were I think there were only a few stores that sold BBC. Um, but as I say, anybody who wants to who's in Oregon or come to Oregon, and they want to buy from a shop compound. Um, I don't have any financial stake. I just like to shout those out. The guys are cool. Compound downtown Portland, and there's also the store Index that sells some, um, you know, ice creams, um, some pre-owned sh- shoes. Um, but uh, yeah, now that now that you can get this stuff online, um, I feel I feel that's a, a, I think significant part of it. I don't know. If, I haven't met anyone who's into BBC or ice cream who's not also a Pharrell fan. And I think that's pretty unique. I don't even think that's something maybe Yeezys have. I mean, I guess most people buying Yeezy stuff are Kanye fans, but maybe some of them aren't. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of was thinking of that. Probably why the price is up is because, yeah, they can't, they're not selling too much to mass market. So it's for, you know, it's like people who save up to buy, you know, iPads or MacBooks. Um, though, you know, some of them aren't, uh, some of them I looking at kind of reasonably priced, um, but still would be it's still kind of a luxury item. But uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up that was on my mind about Corel is I don't know if it's talked about much, but I remember reading an article in Esquire a few years ago about it seems Corel has an interest in politics and um, beyond being an entertainment, I see. You see, you see a lot of this um, from people who are well established in their careers, and I think you get to a certain extent. I wonder, I wonder how much longer is our Rel and Chad you know, really do this um, because I mean they're lifelong artists, but they also want to go in new directions. I mean, you have artists like John Legend and Jay Z and and Rel who are have political aspirations. And I don't, I think it's just because it's one of those things you're not supposed to really talk about, but I've kind of been curious about now that we have the presidents of uh, our <laughs> celebrity president, uh, <laughs> you know, who's lowered the bar significantly, uh, but it has that set of presidents for people who are politi- politically oriented. I mean, you have Kanye, of course, doing his thing, um, but uh I, I don't know is that something you've thought about or touched on because it's, it's something he's I think he seems to he touches on in in his songs and I and I see him you know he's got promotions and stuff where he's very critical and you have that in the in your D album about talking about police brutality um, how might that change things so that would be uh would the fan base get behind that if Rel decided to do run for office or want to be involved in that way yeah it's interesting so it's always an area that i've always thought yeah if i got the chance to sort of interview him that's an area i'd like to kind of talk about um the the problem is with pharrell he's how do i phrase it he's very he's quite guarded and he's very safe in what he says nowadays um you know he he him as a brand um, is very, very important um, to himself and the work that he does. So 
yeah, you you will very rarely ever hear him say anything particularly controversial, which is why I was very surprised when he did the um, the interview with Rick Rubin. He kind of almost out of nowhere started talking about the blurred lines case and really going into it. In I think as I mentioned in a previous podcast, you could see that it it was something that had been bothering him for a long time, and I've not seen him that kind of animated or. Um, really into something or annoyed at something as as that in many many years but in terms of the kind of the politics stuff you know yeah he's um he did you know fundraising for obama back in the day he's kind of you know endorsed obama um i believe you know he does a what's the thing you have in the u.s when it's uh the elections the the thing to go out and vote that they um all the kind of celebrities promote, you know, promote and encourage people to go and go and vote, basically. You know, he's been involved in that, I've seen in the past. Whether he would actually get involved in politics, I, I, I don't think he would. I think he likes to be able to kind of have his, his say through, you know, through his music, which, as you mentioned, you know, we hear in pretty much all of the, the NERD albums. They're all, um, you can go through all of those albums and pick out a number of, uh, kind of political songs um, from each album, but I don't think he would ever really overly um, attest to them being specifically political. I think he would say, "Well, you know, you can you can read into it what you want to read into it and interpret it in whichever way you want to interpret it." But I think when you do listen to it, yes, you can obviously hear they are political. I don't think he would ever really go into politics again. I think you know he, he, him as a brand; it's too important to him. Um, I don't think he likes the kind of controversy that you potentially get as president, or the kind of negative side of it all, or well, not just president, but you know any kind of political um, position, let's say. But I think as he gets older, you know whether he kind of continues as much with the music or or not, I don't know. But you you already see him at the moment. Um, working in these areas where it will lead to kind of political involvement so you look at the something in the water festival uh and the kind of regeneration of some of uh some of virginia beach you look at the um the complex building he was recently involved in as you know i think as more of an investor and a uh a face for the marketing um in canada um was it Toronto I think it was in something like that and he's been talking about you know other um, you know regenerating housing projects and making affordable housing for um, low-income families and stuff like that I think yeah if he, if he were to want to be involved in kind of politics in any way he would he would do it in that way where I think he could actually you know make a direct change by using his own kind of I guess status and brand to to influence the right people at the right times and you know get things through that actually you know directly make a difference to people's lives as opposed to any kind of um political position that would involve you know sitting in an office and having to deal with um I was going to say idiots, other politicians um, on a regular <laughs> basis, which which is one in the same thing essentially to, at least to me um i I don't think you know he would want to kind of do that i don't think he would need to do that i think you know any kind of political um a- 
aspirations he may have, you know, w- would come from more of the the kind of you know influence side of things, and you know, having that uh, status and again that kind of you know the links and contacts um, in the various industries to actually you know get stuff done, um, as opposed to yeah being somebody that has to lobby for things and um, and deal with the kind of the weird and I was gonna say weird and wonderful weird and atrocious world of what politics actually is on a day-to-day basis one question yeah and one question I had for you that I haven't talked to many fans about is this I think happened last year Pharrell put recorded a song and I think put it in the time capsule that'd be released you know a hundred years from now mm-hmm. do you have do you have any thoughts on that what what do, what do you think it might be why he might have done that i don't know but i again with with pharrell i think it could depend on you know just what day of the week it is what mood he's in there could just be an amazing piece of music in there something that you know he wants people in the future to discover and listen to and um take in and interpret in whatever way they want but just you know some kind of brilliantly produced or written piece of music but as you say, at the same time, because because of the kind of political times we are in now, especially you know you people over in the US, um, yes, that there could well be something in there that is more personal to him, that is more, let's say, NERD like, um, that is actually possibly expressing his opinion in some way. But again, I, I think with him, it. It could be one extreme or the other, and it could very much depend on, yeah, his mood at that point in time. Um, so, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and and that's one thing I love, especially about the songs he writes that are personal. The like the last In Your D album is some of those lyrics are very mysterious. They've got obviously got layers to them. Some some of these songs like. Some songs in there and, and some songs on uh, in my mind, I feel like some of them are written to a specific person or people that we maybe don't know. Um, but it's kind of like he says, I love I love when songwriters are able to take that break and write stuff that can be interpreted in so many ways. Um, but I, th- I think I think it's it's. It's maybe we, he's undervalued as a very much an inspiration beyond just an artist to um, a lot of a lot of young people. I think um, you know he tries to keep himself humble in that way, but he's 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 taken a, he's taken certain stances that are are controversial, um, and, and especially you know being a member of black community. Um, his takes on police brutality, you know, coming out in support of um, the LGBTQ community, kind of holding responsible some other members of the of the arts who kind of come out with such, you know, prejudicial things and being able to kind of navigate that very peacefully of, you know, people saying, oh, you know, what the hell is going on with Kanye and kind of the hatred that goes to Kanye and, and, and saying, well, you know, we, we you know, we don't turn on somebody just because we disagree with them politically. So he's got very much a potential for um, 
going beyond being just an artist who's political in terms of being sort of a, a, a diplomat in some ways, whether he would get involved in a, in a uh, official capacity in the government. Yeah, I, I don't know. Of course, things are changing all the time, but I, I think it's interesting how he's kind of, he's kind of, he's, he's used his platform for good in that way. And it's kind of inspired me. Um, because a lot of people can use their fame for not so good purposes um, or just to put more back on themselves. And so I think it's something I always kind of looked up to um, and being sort of a, a role model um, in that way is, is he's someone who really wants to use his position more than just to make money, more than just to make hits. He, he, wants, he wants to make a stance and move society forward i think that was kind of really declared on especially the hidden figure soundtrack and and uh, there's big, these big overarching themes on the nrd album um so i'm interested to see how the, how that evolves or if it stays the same yeah and even even on the the last nrd album yeah there's obviously the the overtly um let's say kind of political views and expression of views within within the songs from him and from from Kendrick and whoever else is on the album but then there's also the kind of the, the complete opposite side of that um where and I think I might mention this on one of the previous episodes but I know it's not a very well-known fact um and I can't remember who the interview originally came from or where the, the quotes originally came from it might have been Mike Larson but apologies if if I'm completely wrong there but yeah around the time of recording the album this is when we had well I say we not we whatsoever because I'm not involved in this and have no I can't relate to it whatsoever but when a, a lot of um there were a lot of you know wrongful deaths let's say in the US at the at the hands of police officers um and you know obviously the the predominant they were predominantly, you know, um, you know, black men, basically. Um, and obviously this was something that was resonating, obviously, in the US and around the world with, you know, Black Lives Matters and stuff like that. And I know kind of Pharrell spoke uh, uh, generally around this, but, you know, what he wanted to do, he wanted to help these families who were in ongoing lawsuits with police departments, but he didn't want to do it overtly he didn't want to draw attention to in a negative way to what was kind of happening so you know he took samples of um the families when they were in court um i i, I assume you're testifying against police officers police departments um whoever it may be he took samples of them in court and chopped them up so much that they were completely indistinguishable and he used those sounds in the album itself, throughout the album, that last NERD album, which meant he would then have to pay them, you know, either a one-off fee to use that, or he would have to pay them royalties, because their audio, um, their voice, uh, was in the tracks. And that's what he did. He paid he paid the money to help them with, you know, legal fees or you know, just just getting by in life, whatever they needed to use the money for. But obviously, that, you know, that isn't a, a well-known thing. And if you look through the the notes of the album, you, know, you won't see those samples listed in there or anything. Um, so that's something he's done, you know, completely, um, 
the complete opposite, you know, to to him actually speaking on records um, and actually giving his opinion. You know, he's doing a lot of this kind of stuff under the table as well to, um, you know, not like I say, not draw attention, I guess, to him and and not um, draw any kind of negative attention to to it in any way. You know, he wants to just help these people, and you know, that's his kind of way of doing it, whereby he feels. You know, he's not just giving money away. He has used something of theirs, and therefore he's obliged to, you know, to pay them compensation for that. But that's his way of actually you know, giving back to them, which you know, I, I think is an amazing thing, completely amazing. And the fact he did that on the last album, yeah, you know, for all we know, he could have been doing that for for years and years for you know, many other causes. We we don't know, but. It wouldn't surprise me if that's something that he he does, um, yeah, semi regularly. Let's say. Yeah, and I actually didn't know that. It's interesting. I mean, I know. I think I looked in previously some of you know the samples that are on there, uh, but I, I that I didn't know the origin of them. That and that makes sense. And I well, I mean, it's like many artists and actors do a lot of these philanthropical charity things. You know, the cynics will say, "Oh, well, they're doing it for." Uh, tax breaks, but that's only true for, you know, some, there's truth to that, but of course, you know, you have people like, you know, Brad Pitt, who was building houses after Katrina, which no one really knew about until Spike Lee kind of shed light on it. Um, and I think that's just, that goes with his character. Of it's, 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 you know, you have some of these rappers too, who will just like, go make a, go make a name for themselves or make a scene, throwing out money um and of course it's videoed and, and people are critical of that but and then it's like you think like you can't win too as a famous person people are like oh well, you're not doing anything because your money is good is like well i am and it's like oh well now you're open about it and so i think he's just taking he's taken the uh you know he's taken the the flow state there of, of not trying to make it about him um exactly and i think that's why he's kind of you know also done it in this way where he's not just donated money to people you know he has you know, he's kind of taken these audio clips or whatever it might be you can't uh, you could probably break down every track um on that you know every different um audio track within each song and you would never find those samples because they're so chopped up so just mixed in and distorted uh, and turned into um completely different sounds but that's kind of his way of yeah actually i guess justifying it to a certain extent so it's yeah it's not just like i'm just giving money away um because i want to be a good person it's you know i've used this thing therefore i owe these people i owe them something and this is my way of kind of you know repaying them and uh and therefore helping them you know to move their lives forward in some way yeah and that's i mean and that that that's right in line with this philosophy that you know like when he goes out you know he's gonna sign what the fans want i mean i mean when I had met Emmy, it was it was very it was very stark that he's he's there. He's very kind, very generous. He's there for his fans. He knows to put them up, and um, yeah, I'm not a lot of entertainers. I think uh, most I think most of them do, but I think a lot of people don't uh, don't see it that way. There's a sense of some people just people in general have a sense of entitlement, but he he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't carry that around because he, you know, he could still be wailing in the studio and no one listens to him, but he knows because people listen to him, 
and there's people, um, you know, people he obviously feels are family on some level. So, um, yeah, I didn't know that that's pretty cool. And I didn't know how kind of integrate integrated that would be aside from, you know, the mad ethnic, whatever sample that's kind of going on. Um, which I, I was curious how, how involved was Chad in that album? Because I don't remember seeing much uh, in terms of his, uh, credits in there. No, it's a, it's a slightly strange situation. And I've, I've asked the question of a couple of people that worked on the album and haven't got a, a definitive answer. So you obviously, when the album came out, um, Basically, the album was listed as produced and written by Pharrell. That was it. Every track was produced by Pharrell, written by Pharrell. Uh, no one else listed whatsoever. I think they have updated some of the some of the credits to include other people now. Um, but I, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if that's a contractual issue or there's something else going on there. Um, I wouldn't kind of like to like to sort of speculate in any kind of way but that's something i noticed immediately when the album came out it's you know it was an nerd album chad was meant to have been very involved in the sessions um shay was generally involved you had lots of other kind of writers involved there at the time um but the whole album was just listed as produced and written by pharrell and that was it so it's um it's a strange one definitely and like i say i i don't quite know why that is i'm i'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt and you know think it's a a, a, not a negative thing and it is just a maybe some kind of contractual issue or whatever it might be and there's nothing you know nefarious going on there or anything but who's to say i I remember looking up the credits and there was frell and then there was also one of the contributors was it looks like a name that was in another language and I don't know if that was just an online thing or if that was a moniker for Chad. Cause, um, but that's what I remember looking up because it was kind of like, who are these other people? And I mean, yeah, when they have actual other people on the track, then they have those. But um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure on that. Um, I mean, I know I enjoy it, but um, it could be maybe just this, this is something that they're not, you know, I mean, the NERD albums have never been something where they're expecting that to be huge. I mean, you know, they're not these huge albums. They're more passion, they're passion projects. So maybe it played into that, but yeah, that's, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. Music contracts are, um, are strange things at the best of times. And I don't know, I don't know whether he had some contractual issue with with his label, whereby he had to give them give them another x number of tracks um, to be able to change his deal, get out of a deal, do something else, um, and potentially the album was forwarded as written and produced just by him, so it could fulfil some contractual obligation. Maybe I'm not too sure, but like I say, I, I'd like to think that. Um, that probably was the case. It was just something silly like that. Because I know they have, if you look at the credits now, most places, you know, other people are listed as being writers and 
I think Chad appears a few times on there at least and the other contributors are listed I know when I looked up some stuff the other day I saw I know kind of Brent was listed on on there with you know he plays the guitars on every track that's got guitars on there he's now listed on there and so it's been updated so like I say yeah I, I assume it was a an admin or clerical type thing that had to be that way for a certain period of time perhaps yeah I also I also wanted to bring up um I don't like I don't like to do gossip but it was interesting I wanted to get your takes on so this is the this was last year the 20th anniversary of police's kaleidoscope and I was also really happy to see they finally put um uh Wonderland Wonderlust I can't remember the name of the album yeah yeah, of police, which I was one of my favorites. Now that's on streaming, which for a while, for a long time, yeah, you had to order the CD separate. I had ordered from the UK. Um, but that police came out with an article in which she was basically not too happy with the Neptune's Pharrell. I think what I, since I got was there's underlying personal issues there. Um, but kind of, um, I, I, that was that was an interesting thing to see simply because I mean she she was on a great deal of tracks as, from other artists and featured and it seems like all these years she's coming out and she's kind of mad and kind of accusing you know uh, for all being fake and all this and I think um, that that was you know, it seems like, I don't know if you have any takes on that. I, I It seemed like she was just trying to uh, maybe raise her profile or something. I have uh, quite a lot of takes on this, and I have to be careful what I what I say here because I've been speaking to her team recently. Um, I was trying to secure an interview when I went to see her in Berlin a few weeks ago, um, and I'm, I'm assuming the festival that she's meant to be attending here in Finland um, in July or June, whatever it is, um, it's probably going to be cancelled now, but I was hoping to push the interview to, to then. So, so so for those that aren't aware, um, Kalise recently started to do a, a Kaleidoscope 20th anniversary tour. She did three dates, uh, one of which was Berlin that I went to a few weeks ago, um, and obviously it then got cancelled um, because of what's you know going on in the world at the moment. But during her kind of um, promo for this for this tour, she talked, yeah, let's say disparagingly um, about Pharrell. The problem here is I don't think I don't necessarily think Pharrell was specifically the problem. But what the the problem Pharrell has is that for you know since he's been in the industry, since he's had Star Trek, and since they've been the Neptunes. He has been the face and the voice of the Neptunes and of Star Trek um, and of everything else he's been involved in. So when people talk about, you know, when Kalise or uh, a journalist talks about her deal with Star Trek from 20-odd years ago, from, you know, 1998, 1999, whatever it was, they refer to, you know, Star Trek, the label, um, and the Neptunes as... You know, as Pharrell, because he was the face and voice. Um, and it's an easy way for journalists to refer to it because people then understand his involvement. Um, and it's, a, I think, a, a quick and easy way for 
police to refer to it because it will get clicks. It gets um, it gets promotion for the tour. It gets um, you know it throws a bit of shade his way because she's obviously still pissed off about how things kind of went down. But I don't think the issue is around Pharrell whatsoever. Essentially, you know, you look back at the Star Trek days and. From my very limited knowledge and understanding of the people that were there at the time, um, Pharrell and Chad had nothing really to do with the running of Star Trek. You know, it was it was their label. Pharrell was obviously the face of it, um, but you know the the day to day stuff, the managing of contracts, the artist management, whatever it might be, that's not Pharrell's job. Pharrell owns the company. He's a producer in the Neptunes. From my understanding, you know. All of that kind of contract stuff was uh, managed by their business partner, uh, Rob, Rob Walker, who kind of co-founded Star Trek with them. Um, But obviously, you know, if a journalist says, oh, so the stuff that happened at Star Trek and, you know, the stuff that Rob looked after and all of this, you know, 99.999% of the people out there don't know who Rob Walker is. Don't right. even know what don't even know what Star Trek is if they're just reading the Guardian or whatever publication it was in, but they know who Pharrell is. They know who Pharrell Williams is, and they know. Oh, okay, so he had a label, and she was on his label. Okay, now I understand it. But if you're talking you know, at a higher level about you know, Star Trek and Rob Walker and other people that worked there, you know, most people don't know who that is. They don't care who it is. So it it doesn't benefit either the journalist or Kalis to to talk about those actual specifics it benefits them more to talk in general terms about the person who who was the the face and the voice of the company at the time now that's just my my kind of take on it um i know kind of pharrell has uh well at least i I think pharrell has kind of reached out to her in the past and um they've seen each other at events and stuff like that and they've been kind of cordial and friendly obviously kelly still has an issue of some kind um, which obviously hasn't been worked out or resolved. Uh, and she obviously, you know, still feels um, sort of hard done by, you know, sort of 20, 22 years later. Um, obviously, none of us are kind of privy to to that sort of, um, to, you know, to the, the kind of background knowledge and information of exactly what went down and who exactly was involved in what and what was agreed and what wasn't. Um, but yeah, yeah, my take is, you know, Pharrell's name was used as um, as a means essentially to generate the clicks for the story and to also, you know, help promote the, the tour a little bit more, let's say. Yeah, and, well, and, and, I, and, and that was kind of what I got. At, you know, I used to work as a journalist, as a reporter for years, including for mainstream publications. And I fortunately, you know, I've, I've covered some stories about involving the media um, but I was never really, really never wanted to get a celebrity gossip or anything like that. But in terms of how I know how newspapers and news organizations work, yeah, there's to be leading questions and, and there's, there's always, there's always a tendency to want to get that. I mean, I've, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Fiona Apple and, and her recent article that's kind of preceding her new album, you know, what people took away, what got most taken away from that article outside of what was about her new album was a story about, you know, her doing cocaine with uh, Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson. And like, that was the big takeaway because people, people 
glob on to the gossip. I, I've always shied away from it sometimes to the point where, like, I didn't know until, I think, 2012 that Pharrell had a son, Rocket. And mm-hmm. I think I found Rocket because I just try to stay away from all of that so much. Um, now I just kind of more judicious about how I see knowing that it's, none of that is what it seems. Um, but I was kind of just wondering if, if that's, yeah, issues. Cause that's kind of the first time I knew she kind of still has issues. Um, but I didn't know if she, that was issues she was having or just for kind of how things are kind of chopped up. Um, cause I think, yeah, later in the article, she clarifies like, well, she's obviously got some personal issues as well that probably no one else, no one else will ever know about. Um, but also some, you know, where she's kind of phrased, oh yeah, it wasn't really them. It was more the business, but yeah, kind of, I, it seems kind of what you're saying. Like, yeah, it, it gets, it gets the, uh, it gets the numbers up. It gets the stuff out, but just kind of all, all those things and kind of the blurred line lawsuit have made me kind of aware of how, how much I want to be involved, you know, in the industry or, or carve my own way out because it's, it, you can get that cutthroat stuff. I mean, the blurred line thing is just, I think it's absurd to set the precedence that anyone can be sued for just having a certain vibe. But um, it, I think it just goes to show you, you know, the bigger you get, the more likely people are going to want to either, you know, Mr. Mr. Me Too, you know, brag about knowing you or want to, yeah, throw shade your way. Um, I, I think the police thing maybe we'll never know, but I, yeah, I just wanted to get your take on that. Cause that was kind of, that struck me as something that was kind of new to me. Yeah. And, uh, I think, you know, once she kind of, once that first sort of story came out, I think it was, I think it was the guardian it was in. Um, yeah, the, the next couple of interviews obviously just focused on that and it turned the whole kind of promotion for the tour into a very negative thing. And, you know, she, she talked about how, you know, she wasn't, um, you know, she didn't realise it was twenty years. Someone had, had to had to remind her it was twenty years. She wasn't that bothered about the album. She didn't really care about it that much. Um, it turned into like a, a real kind of like negative event, as opposed to like what you'd expect most people to be saying on a twentieth anniversary tour. Like you know, yes, I'm really excited to perform these songs all over again and revisit them and rework them and see all the fans and all this kind of thing. It just it turned into a very negative like press tour and. I think, you know, when I was speaking to her team to try and get an interview, she did a couple more interviews. I think she did one with with um, Radio 1 in London. Um, from what I gather, they were told not to, um, not to touch on these subjects, to avoid them, let's say, and to talk about positive things. And I feel that, yeah, you know, like the, the interview request that I had probably didn't go anywhere eventually because they maybe had the feeling that you know being a pharrell neptune's um focused podcast um it would probably go down that route there would be questions around some of the stuff she'd said and i don't think they wanted any more kind of um negativity let's say um on that kind of initial short press tour that she did before the before the tour started yeah which which is interesting because you know she i'm sure she's mixed feelings but she wouldn't have a career without that and i think that where it came up with like with her album Tasty, which was the first album where she really had other songs produced by other people, um, which I think was good. Um, but you know, it, it, her career kind of, I think, kind of her notoriety kind of 
trail she to trail off after that because people were like, oh, well, she's not working on Neptunes, even though she, you know, she's a she's a quality artist. Um, but it's 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 yeah, it it, it seems that she kind of that kind of maybe backfired on her a little bit because it's, it is it is sort of weird things to say when you're touring with an album that was produced by the Neptunes, but you also have issues with the Neptunes. Yeah, she. I mean, she could take any time to clear it up, but it's it's like, huh? That's it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I, it hasn't really changed my opinion of her music, but it's just kind of like, okay, this is kind of this is kind of one of the downsides to that business that I don't think a lot of people see. And then I see stuff online where people are like, oh yeah, you know, criticizing people or Pharrell or Chad stands. It's like, well, I was never. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm not a fan. You know, I don't understand any of anybody that they can't be infallible, but, uh, yeah, it, it, I thought that was just kind of interesting of, you know, I, I, I guess maybe just because, you know, Malice and, and Pusha are family. So, you know, basically that they wouldn't go to that length. But, uh, I did want to ask you briefly the clips I saw a few years ago that they were thinking about going back in the studio. Um, is, is there, I'm guessing are are Pusha and Malice still close? Is there is there a reason they haven't want to go back? Because I guess Malice, you know, has become um, a preacher, become Christian. Maybe that there's not a vibe there on what they would rap about. But I, I think like it's- I think that's it. Yeah, I think they're both in just different worlds nowadays. Um, you obviously we saw them. I guess reunite recently on the the Kanye album on a, what was a very good track. Um, but yeah, they, they've obviously both said recently, you know, that they don't really, they're not really interested in doing it. You know, I know both of them, I know Pusher has probably spoken about it more. He gets asked about it more. He's in, in the public eye a little bit more. Um, he's always said, you know, I'm not going to rule it out, but we're, we're definitely in no rush to do it. And, um, we don't have anything planned basically. And yeah, and I, I think that is because malice or no malice now is, as he's called is, you know, in in a completely different space in his life, completely different world. You know, he is that kind of um, born again Christian. Um, yeah, you know, he doesn't want to kind of he doesn't want to do those songs. He sees again from you know his book that I read and interviews that I've read um, and stuff like that. And I've shared a couple of emails with him in the past as well um, about you know jumping on this podcast maybe one day. He's just not interested in those songs, not interested in that lifestyle. He wants to forget about all that stuff. Um, I think it brings back bad memories, perhaps. You know, he, he doesn't want to talk about it on a podcast or anywhere else. He's certainly not going to want to get up on stage and recite the lyrics um, right. about drugs, guns, killing people. Not that he did that, but, you know, some of the, the content is based around some of that stuff. You know, he, he's just not interested in it basically I, I think we will see them do more stuff in the future i think for the the foreseeable future it will be stuff such as they've just done with kanye it'll be both of them linking on a track probably not necessarily you know in the studio together they'll you know both send in their verses um and i think that will be the case for this foreseeable future but i'd like to think eventually down the road there will be some 
as they both get older, there will be some middle ground there somewhere, some agreements they can kind of come to in terms of what the the theme of the album is, what the content of the album will be, um, and they'll be able to do something together, I hope. Because as I say, you know, the the Something in the Water Festival, there were some really big headline acts um, at that this year. But all the buzz I saw from, um, from fans, from... Um, publications from from everywhere was oh shit the clips are back together that's all anyone seemed to care about so yeah they know it's there they know they can and i think they've talked about it in the past they regularly get offered obscene amounts of money to actually do shows together to record stuff together um and they could earn an absolute ton of money off of that and i think pusher was saying a little a couple of years back you know they'd been offered some absolutely obscene deal to go on tour again um and mal was just like no don't need the money don't want to do it thanks um that's just yeah that's the way it's going to be for the time being i think and i think you know there's something in the water festival i think again that would have been a one-off just because i think pharrell would probably put a word in personally and ask them you know will you guys do it for for my festival for the Virginia, where we're from, um, and you know they were doing it for that reason. Um, but I don't expect to see too much more of the pair of them together in the in the coming years. Yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the feeling I got too, which which is unfortunate. But at the same time, with artists I love, I I want them to be happy in their personal lives. Even if that doesn't mean even that means they don't record you know anything again. So yeah. I just quickly want to mention um, something I completely forgot about. I was going to talk about the the Khalees tour a while back, um, and we just we touched on it a moment ago. But I needed to give a shout out quickly um, to Marvin Chalupa, um, who is a friend of the podcast, a listener of the podcast. Um, he lives in southern Germany somewhere. He took like a six-hour train up to Berlin to come and meet me and to go to the gig with me. Um, so I want to give a shout-out to Marvin. Also, you know, if you're looking for early BBC gear, go and check him out on Instagram. I'll put a link in the show notes to his page. Um, he's regularly selling loads of early pieces, lots of heat, lots of OG pieces, lots of ice creams, all that sort of stuff. Um, so definitely give him a follow and keep an eye on his um, Instagram as well. And I was meant to mention it in the last podcast. I forgot. And I forgot earlier today as well. So there it is. All right. All right. Have we got anything else to talk about or is that our lot? That's my lot. All right. Good stuff. We've gone. I did say at the start of this, we keep it to about an hour, but I think we've gone slightly over that. Not that that's a bad thing. But we had a lot, lot to discuss, a lot to chat about. Um, we've been away for a while, so good to uh, chat about all these things, NERD, Neptunes, and Pharrell. Um, if you want to listen to the other episodes of the podcast, you can find us on pretty much every podcast app out there, as well as Spotify. Uh, just look up the others podcast. You can also stream all of the episodes from the website, theothers.net, that's others with a Z, and you can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook um, at Others Podcast. You can find me online at Steve R. Penny, and Clayton, let the people know what you're up to and where people can find your good self. So yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as DJ Scarpy, DJ 
C-A-R-P-I. And uh, I just started making music my own last year. Uh, you can find my music on all streaming, uh, S-C-A-R-P-I, like an ERD, uh, as well as djscarpy.bandcamp.com. Um, if you go to my Twitter page, um, DJ Scar at DJ Scarpy, you can find the link tree all the links. But uh, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Great stuff. I'll add all the links to the the show notes so people can um, find that nice and easily. But yes, I think that's it from uh, us this week. I'll hopefully be back next week and the following week. We've got a few more episodes lined up. Time to be productive now that we're all stuck in the house every day. So, yes, everyone stay safe. Uh, stay away from people. Do all the stuff you're told to do. And, um, yeah, call it a day there. And I'll speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Uh-huh.